You're listening to The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam, the series that visits those distinguished as leaders of humanity, not only in history, but in the ranks of the next world. Dive into the stories of the giants who were the first of their kind as they rose to the occasion and became preserved inspirations for generations to come. With your host, Sheikh Dr. Omar Suleiman, let's meet The Firsts. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. A'udhu billahi s-sameen a'i min ash-shaytan ar-rajim. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wal-i'udwan illa ala al-zalimeen. Wal-aqibatu lil-muttaqeen. Allahumma salli wa sallam wa barak ala abdika wa rasulika Muhammadin sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam tasliman kathira. So bidnillahi ta'ala, our next three lessons, I wanted us to take a look at three remarkable people that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam met specifically on the Hijrah. And of course, we're starting the Hijri year. And even though uh, Muharram is not when the Hijrah happened, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu ordered that the calendar be started from this place for a reason, because the Hijrah really marks a turning point in Islam and it allows us a moment to reflect on something very special when it comes to our deen. And the people that the Prophet met all have a very specific trajectory that happens in this hijrah. And keep in mind that this migration of the Prophet ﷺ was full of miracles. From the very beginning to the moment that he arrives in Quba ﷺ, nothing is normal about these encounters. Even the Prophet's encounters with the birds and with the spiders and the way that the creation is being dictated to protect the Messenger ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ proceeds on this journey with a lot of sakina, with a lot of tranquility, completely tranquil, with full trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even in a moment when he has the least protection, when he is at the most risk in terms of his life as a Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is proceeding with full trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. La tahzan inna allaha ma'ana. Oh Abu Bakr, do not grieve, Allah is with us. And you're going to see that in these various instances that take place with the Prophet The first one especially uh, being my favorite one uh, that we'll start with, bidnillah. And before we talk about her, who was traveling with the Prophet on the Hijrah? So just a quick recap. Who's with him on this journey? Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and who else? Does anyone remember? The guide, does anyone remember the name of the guide? So his name is Amr ibn Fuhayra. Amr ibn Fuhayra radiallahu ta'ala anhu, a freed slave of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu. He was a shepherd who Abu Bakr had, uh, had freed from slavery and he remained dedicated to as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu. And he died as a shaheed in, uh, after uh, the, the hijrah in Bir Ma'una. And you can find actually his story. We covered his biography somewhere in the episodes, uh, somewhere in the 60s. If you go back in the playlist with the night we actually did a whole episode on Amr ibn Fuhayra because he's considered from As-Sabiqun al-Awwalun. He's considered from the forerunners because he embraced Islam very early on in Mecca and has a miraculous death as well. So you have the Prophet Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. Abu Bakr's children, Asma and Abdullah, are responsible for the food and for the news, right? So they're kind of monitoring and meeting the Prophet and Abu Bakr uh, in different parts of the journey. Amr ibn Fuhayra radiallahu anhu. And there's one more person. Um, I don't expect anyone to, to know this name uh, up until now. But his name is Abdullah ibn Urayqit. 
Abdullah ibn Urayqit. Very interesting man. Uh, he's also one of the Dalils, one of the guides of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and Abu Bakr radiallahu anhuma, uh, radiallahu anhu, and he is the one who actually crafts the path for the Prophet Sallallahu in the Hijrah. So he was the one that came up with the game plan basically, the roadmap. Amr ibn Fuhayra is gonna stay with the Prophet Sallallahu and Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu until the very end, until they make it to Medina. Uh, Asma and Abdullah are kind of, you know, checking in and out and meeting them at different points of the journey. And then you have Abdullah ibn Urayqat. Abdullah ibn Urayqat was actually not a Muslim. Very interesting man. He was someone that Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu saw a lot of integrity in. I mean, you have to have a lot of character to resist the bounty on the head of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa in this journey, and you're not even a Muslim. So he's someone who has a lot of integrity. He's trustworthy. He's a friend of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, and he's an expert of the desert. And because he's not Muslim, Quraysh will not suspect him walking around. He's known to not be a Muslim. So when he's walking around and crafting the path and giving instructions from afar, he's someone who's not suspicious. He will take the Prophet sallallahu and Abu Bakr uh, and Amr ibn Fuhayra to a point just outside of Mecca and eventually he'll turn back to Mecca. So he doesn't make the entire journey. Now what a shame if this man died not as a Muslim, right? Alhamdulillah, he later on embraced Islam around Fatih Mecca and became one of the companions as a Dhahabi rahimahullah uh, records about him radiallahu anhu. So again, just for the sake of knowing the names, obviously the Prophet who else? Abu Bakr, who else? Amr ibn Fuhayra, and then fourth, Abdullah ibn Urayqit radiallahu anhum ajma'in. So these four people are traveling outside of Mecca initially, the Prophet with these three, and starting to plot their way out. Now obviously, Quraysh has plotted a horrible plot. And the Prophet is really going to be attacked from different directions here. They're going to try to find the Prophet in this desert from multiple directions, and there's a huge bounty on top of them. We'll talk about the bounty, inshallah ta'ala, in the next uh, lesson. But let's start off, inshallah ta'ala, with the first person that is tied to this hijrah that the Prophet is going to meet along the way. Now, in the year of the hijrah, there's a tribe that is known as Banu Khuza'ah. And Banu Khuza'ah was suffering that year from drought and hardship. Banu Khuza'ah is an interesting tribe because they were considered the primary tribe, the leading tribe in Mecca before Quraysh. And then Quraysh uh, takes the leadership and Banu Khuza'ah settles the outskirts of Mecca for the most part, okay? And this is the tribe who later on in Islam, this is the tribe that is attacked in violation of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. Remember, Sulh Hudaybiyah, the Treaty of Hudaybiyah was broken by the Meccans because there is a ceasefire and all allied tribes on both sides were not to attack each other. An allied tribe to Quraysh ambushed people from Banu Khuza'ah, which was allied to the Prophet and that was what nullified Sulh Hudaybiyah, the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, and paved the way for Fatah Mecca. So it's an interesting tribe, Banu Khuza'ah, a tribe that's allied to the Prophet and whose people are known to be uh, a noble people at the time, and they settled much of the outskirts of Mecca at the time. Now, the person that we're going to be speaking about today is an old woman, and her journey to Islam is tied specifically to this journey of the Prophet 
And she is known for giving the most beautiful description of the Prophet ﷺ that we have, right? And there are many beautiful descriptions. There's the description of Hind ibn Abi Hala in uh, the Shama'il, but her description, subhanAllah, with its authenticity and with its eloquence and with its beauty and simplicity is, is truly remarkable. And she's going to meet the Prophet ﷺ on this journey. Her name is Umm Ma'bad radiallahu ta'ala anha. Her actual name, because that is a nickname, her actual name is Atika bint Khalid al-Khuza'iyya. Atika bint Khalid al-Khuza'iyya. So we have another Atika uh, from the seerah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Now, this woman is a Bedouin woman. She resides on the outskirts of Mecca with her husband, Abu Ma'bad. And I want you to have a picture of each person that we're going to talk about because the profiles are very different here. I want you to imagine if any of you have ever been to the Arab world when you are uh, going outside of the city and you see someone uh, set up a tent and they're selling some tomatoes. They've got like a, a single crop that they're selling or they have a particular type of drink that they're giving out to people or that they're selling and they're really, really disconnected from civilization. So I want you to think about the story of Umm Ma'bad radiallahu ta'ala anha. That Umm Ma'bad radiallahu anha is from Khuza'a. Her people are struggling at this time. This was a difficult year upon them. And she was known to care for the wayfarers. And this is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because when you hear Allah talk about those who take care of Abiru Sabil, the one who is a wayfarer, a wayfarer is a stranded traveler. So what Umm Ma'bad would do is that she would basically see people that were traveling through these difficult terrains and she would serve them. She'd serve them water. Uh, she had some, some sheep, some goats. She would milk the goats for the travelers. She would offer them shade for some time. Whatever she could do to support these people as they were going through. And this is from the good akhlaq, the good qualities that existed in some of the simple people before Islam. Okay, and so this is something that we learn from the Prophet Sallallahu that people are like precious stones. There are good qualities that existed in people before Islam. And so this is a good quality that they have, that she is a woman that serves people as they are along the way. And subhanAllah, it just so happens that she sees the Prophet Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Amir ibn Fuhayra radiallahu anhu, and Daliluhum, their guide, Abdullah ibn Uraiqat, and they come to her khayma, her tent, and they ask her if she has anything to drink. She has no idea who these four men are, and they ask her where her husband is, and she mentions that her husband has gone out, Abu Ma'bad has gone out, and that this is a difficult time upon them, that we don't have la qalil wa la kathir. We don't have a little, nor do we have a lot. We can barely squeeze a few drops of milk these days, and we can barely find a few pieces of meat and a few pieces of bread to get by ourselves. So this has been a difficult time upon us. And Abu Ma'bad has gone out in search of some of that risk, in search of some of that sustenance. Now, when she sees the condition of the Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr and Amr ibn Fuhayra and uh, Abdullah ibn Uraiqat, she's being kind to them. But at the same time, she has nothing to offer them except for the shade of her tent. So the Prophet ﷺ says to her, do you have any goat or any sheep that has some milk in it? 
And she says, I swear by your mother and father that if I had any milk in any goat, anything to offer you, I would offer it to you. Not knowing who the Prophet is, just because she's kind to the wayfarer, she's kind to the strangers. And subhanAllah, think of the incident. Rasulullah sees this you know, very skinny goat in the corner, right? That appears to offer absolutely nothing. And the Prophet says, what is that one over there? A goat or a sheep? And she says to the Prophet that it can barely sustain itself. It has nothing to give anyone else. And the Prophet says to her, do you mind if I milk it? Do you mind if I milk its udders? She's, she looks at the Prophet and she's looking at this animal. She knows her animal. She's a Bedouin woman. She says to the Prophet go ahead, but there's nothing out of it. You know, you're going to squeeze the udders of the sheep to get anything out of it, but you're not going to be able to get anything. And of course, we know that from the narrations of the Messenger وسلم, that he was able to put his hands on the udders of uh, a goat or a sheep or a cow that would not produce milk and the Prophet ﷺ would say Bismillah and it would suddenly fill with milk. And this is what happened in the story of Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu when the Prophet ﷺ was with Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu and Abdullah bin Mas'ud said this is the only thing I have and the Prophet ﷺ says Bismillah and its udders fill and the Prophet ﷺ gives Abdullah bin Mas'ud some of its milk and he gives Abu Bakr some of its milk and he drinks from it himself sallallahu alayhi wasallam and that was the beginning of the Islam of Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiyallahu ta'ala anhu when he says to the Prophet sallallahu min hadha al-qawl tell me what these words are that you said and the Prophet sallallahu said innaka ghulam mu'allam that you are a learned young man and he goes following the Prophet sallallahu down to Mecca to embrace Islam so here Abu Bakr radiyallahu anhu has seen this happen before the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he takes that animal, he says, Bismillah, he touches its udders, and then suddenly it fills with milk. And the Prophet asks for a large container. So he takes the container himself, وسلم, and he milks it until he fills the container, and he tells them to drink. First, Umm Abad to drink. Umm Abad is shocked. She doesn't know what she's witnessing here. Atika bin Khalid, she drinks from it. And the Prophet says to Abu Bakr to drink. And the Prophet says to Amr ibn Fuhayra to drink. And the Prophet says to Abdullah ibn Urayqit that the Dalil, the guide of a people, is also their servant and should drink from them as well. You know, he, he deserves from it as well. So he tells Abdullah ibn Urayqit to drink from it as well. And the Prophet milks it and he fills the container again. And he offers it again and he drinks himself وسلم, until each one of them had drank from that milk. And it is on this journey that you hear the beautiful words of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu, فَشَرِبَ النَّبِي حَتَّرْ تَوَيْتْ The Prophet my beloved one, drank that milk until I became full. Like I was thirsty, but when I saw the Prophet thirsty due to this difficult journey, when he drank that milk sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and I loved him more than I loved myself, when I looked at him and he drank that milk, alhamdulillah, it was as if I had become nourished. I was no longer thirsty when I saw the Messenger وسلم, no longer thirsty. Now, after the Prophet وسلم, does this, Umm Ma'bad is watching this all happen and she asks the Prophet وسلم, what is your name? The Prophet وسلم, says, Abdullah. She says, we're all the ibad of Allah. Now the Prophet وسلم, 
In one of the recorded narrations, he gives her the name eventually. But the point is, is that he's a wanted man and he's still within the confines of Mecca. So the Prophet ﷺ departs from their home and Umm Abad anha is there and this one animal, this one sheep that the Prophet ﷺ leaves behind is still giving its milk and Abu Ma'bad comes home after the four guests have departed. And SubhanAllah, here you have, again, this beautiful description. Abu Ma'bad comes in and he sees the situation and he says to her, what is it that happened today? Did anything different happen today? I mean, what, what's this special blessing that we are witnessing? And she says, لا والله إلا أنه مر بنا رجل مبارك. She said that it's only that a blessed man has passed through this tent and his situation was like this and his situation was like that. And Abu Ma'bad, her husband, says to him, says to her, Sufihi uh, go ahead, Sufihi give, give me his description, Ya Ummi Ma'bad. And this is where you're gonna find that description coming. Before I, I read the description, because it's worth reading and we won't go into the great detail of it, the way that you would in a typical Shama'il class, you know, there's something that the scholars mention about the Bedouin. The Bedouin who lives out in nature, you think about someone that lives out in nature, they tend to be a lot more observant of that nature. And if you can pair articulation with that experience, then you get some of the most beautiful descriptions of nature. So Umm Ma'bad has a woman who lives out in nature and she knows how to describe things and articulate what she is seeing of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so she's about to give a full description of the Prophet every single detail of the Prophet even though she only interacted with him for a few moments. And this shows you the type of presence the Prophet had and the effect that he would leave on you if he came in your presence May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to behold our Messenger with our own two eyes and to be joined with him so I want you to, to now think about this conversation happening in, in a beat up old tent in the outskirts of Mecca that is now recorded in history that we read as the most important description of the most influential man in history, this conversation between husband and wife in this abandoned tent. And she goes on to describe the Prophet قالت, رَأَيْتُ رَجُلًا she said that I saw this man and she says his cleanliness, his cleanliness was remarkable. Now subhanAllah, there's something here that's important, which is that if you're traveling on a difficult journey, you're not going to be clean, right? Your clothes are going to be raggedy. It's going to show the effect of travel will show on you. But she's praising the immaculate appearance of the Prophet ﷺ. She said he was incredibly clean. And she says, His face was luminous ﷺ. I want you to think of yourself in the next few minutes, inshallah, as if you're looking at him ﷺ, seeing him walk into your tent His face was luminous. And she said, a beautiful, Hassan al-Khalq, just a beautiful creation all together. She says, that he didn't have a, a stomach that was bulging. 
nor did he have a head that was shaped in any different way, a, a, a smaller head. Wasim, Qasim, the Prophet ﷺ was handsome and he was perfectly uh, proportioned, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. She says, fi aynayhi da'aj, that uh, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had wide eyes. So she now, she, she described the overall, the shape of the Prophet sallallahu perfectly proportioned, completely clean. His face was lit up sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And now she's going to start to describe his face alayhi salatu wasalam. She said he had wide eyes alayhi salatu wasalam. And then she said, وَفِي أَشْفَارِهِ وَطَفْ The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, on top of having wide eyes, he had long eyelashes alayhi salatu wasalam. And she said, describing his voice sallallahu alayhi wasallam, وَفِي صَوْتِهِ صَحَلْ the Prophet ﷺ had a sharpness to his voice. You know, when you were listening to the Prophet ﷺ speak, there are no microphones here, there's, but it was a perfect pitch. And that's something, subhanAllah, that, that we can't understand now, even as you read the description, but it was a perfect pitch that he had wasallam, And he had a sharpness to his voice The Prophet ﷺ had uh, a long neck. What was the neck of the Prophet ﷺ described like? The neck of a gazelle, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So let the picture complete in your head and may Allah Azza wa allow us to see him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And she continues, وَفِي لَحْيَتِهِ كَثَاثَ That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had a, uh, a thick uh, beard. And she goes on and she says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's eyes were stark in their contrast. That he had the whiteness of his eyes, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, extremely white, and the blackness of the inside of his eyes were extremely black. So the Prophet eyes had a perfect contrast, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Azaj, she said that the Prophet had an arcing of his eyebrows. Aqran, and his eyebrows were so thick, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that it was as if they met, but they didn't meet because the eyebrows had such volume on him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And she continues to say, Shadidu sawad al-sha'ar, that the Prophet sallallahu hair was extremely black, extremely dark. And she goes on now to describe the way that he carries himself, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. She says, in samata fa'alayhi al-waqar. When he's quiet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, then he's covered in glory. Like when he was silent, it was as if he had an aura to him of honor, of glory. And she goes on to say, وَإِن تَكَلَّمَ سَمَاهُ عَلَاهُ الْبَهَاءِ This is very hard to translate, but when he then spoke, it was as if that, that honor and that glory had a light that was coming out of it. So subhanAllah, it's like when he was silent and you were looking at him, you were captured by the aura of the Prophet But then once he started to speak, it was as if this light started to come from him SubhanAllah. She says about the Prophet that he was the most beautiful, and captivating of people from afar. When you saw him from afar, like you would stop what you were doing and you would look at him sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, like who is this man that is coming to us sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? وَأَحْسَنُهُ وَأَحْلَاهُ مِنْ قَرِيبٍ When he came close to you, 
He was even more beautiful min qareeb, when he came close to you, like you were even more captivated. Now, what did the Sahaba describe? They couldn't even look at the Prophet ﷺ when he was right in front of them. He had such beauty and such jalal alayhi salatu wasalam, such glory to him, that when he came too close to you, what would you do? You'd put your head down. And that's what Ali radiallahu anhu says, like I, I couldn't look at the Prophet ﷺ when he was right in front of me. It was very hard to actually stare at him وسلم, because he had such an imposing presence sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So he was even more beautiful. And the scholars mentioned that usually, you know, the, the more magnifying you get, the more the flaws become apparent. And so what Umm Ma'bad radiallahu anha is saying that as beautiful as he was from afar and as captivating as he was from afar, when he came closer to you, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, then it was unbelievable. And she goes on uh, to say, Hulwul Mantiq, that the Prophet had beautiful speech that he had this beautiful logic when he spoke sallallahu alaihi wasallam and she said that his speech was uh, not too short nor was it too long and she describes she says that it was as if his speech were like the beads of a necklace that were falling like perfect proportion so he had a, the right pitch sallallahu alaihi wasallam and his words came out perfectly alaihi salatu wasallam and she continues to describe him and uh, she says that when the Prophet ﷺ would speak, in qala sami'u li qawlihi, wa in amara tabadaru ila amrihi. When he spoke, no one else had anything to say. Everybody listened to what he had to say, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And uh, if he gave a command, then they were quick to respond to his command, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And she continues to describe the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and she says that he was. Uh, th- th- that he was dignified alayhi salatu wasalam. He was respectful. And the Prophet sallallahu abis, that he wasn't one who would frown, right? When they say abasa wa tawalla, when we read abasa wa tawalla, she's saying that the Prophet sallallahu was not abis, wala mufannad. He was not someone that had a difficult type of presence, nor was he someone that would refuse. So as much glory and as much honor and as much respect as he commanded alayhi salatu wasalam from everyone that was around him, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasalam showed that respect to everyone that was around him as well, right? He didn't let that translate into a harsh disposition, even though he had such a presence alayhi salatu wasalam that when you were with him, you would shrink. And that's what, that's what these people are saying, the companions are saying, radiallahu ta'ala anhum, when they saw him, they would shrink. But the Prophet's kindness would open up the pathways to still be able to interact with him. So she said, I've never seen a man before him or after him like him. I mean, how many people have passed through this tent? How many of the creation of Allah, the khalq of Allah have I seen? She said, Wallahi, this is the most remarkable human being that I have ever seen. And her husband, uh, who was uh, Abu Ma'bad, Abu Ma'bad, he says that I swear by Allah, this is Sahibu Quraysh. Hada Sahibu Quraysh. That's the companion of Quraysh that they always talk about. Meaning they'd heard about this thing happening in Mecca, but you know, think about the disconnect. It's not that Mecca is so far away, but they weren't really involved in the affairs of the people in this regard. That's who they're talking about. And he says, وَلَقَدْ hamamtu." and ashabahu sallallahu alayhi wasallam and i hope that i can be his companion and if i find a way then i'm going to take that way and abu ma'bad would investigate 
later on and hear about the Prophet ﷺ in Al-Madinah and both he and Umm Ma'bad would go and they would officially declare their Islam with the Prophet ﷺ. Now while this incredible incident is happening in the Hijrah where the Prophet ﷺ is going to stop in the tent of this, this woman, Umm Ma'bad, and what khair, what barakah, what blessing had visited her. Uh, Asma was worried about their situation in Mecca. And there was a voice that called out in Mecca, that cried out in Mecca, and they could not trace where the voice was. And it's, it's extremely hard to translate these poems, but Jazallahu Rabbun Nasi Khayra Jazaihi Rafi Qaini Halla Khaymati Ummi Ma'badi Huma Nazala Bilbirri Wartahala Bihi Faflahaman Amsa Rafiqa Muhammadi Salu Uhtakum An Shatiha wa Inaiha Fainakum in Tasalu Shata Tashadi. It's a beautiful poem that may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala send his blessings upon the protector of uh, the, the people, the friends who came to the tent of Umm Ma'bad. They came with their beauty and then they left. Successful and prosperous is the one who is a follower of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And you should ask Umm Ma'bad about her shat, about her, about her sheep and about her container. And even the sheep itself would bear witness to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. If you went to and you asked it about the situation that happened. And one of the, uh, the narrations is that when Hassan ibn Thabit radiallahu ta'ala anhu heard uh, what, what had happened there, that there was almost a voice that was saying to the people of Mecca, how miserable are you that you let this man leave from your rank? How miserable are you that you let, let Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam outside of your vicinity and you allowed him to make hijrah? And so, Hassan ibn Thabit radiallahu anhu said, لَقَدْ خَابَ قَوْمٌ زَالَ عَنْهُمْ نَبِيُّهُمْ وَقُدِّسَ مَنْ يَسْرِي إِلَيْهِمْ وَيَغْتَدِي تَرَحَّلَ عَنْ قَوْمٍ فَزَالَتْ عُقُولُهُمْ نَبِيٌّ يَرَى مَا لَا يَرَى النَّاسُ حَوْلَهُ وَيَتْلُوا كِتَابَ اللَّهِ فِي كُلِّ مَشْهَدِ وَإِنْ قَالَ فِي يَوْمٍ مَقَالَةَ غَائِبٍ That Hassan radiallahu anhu said, what a miserable fate of a people whose prophet has escaped them. Right? And instead, how blessed are those who go out to receive that Prophet ﷺ and that he left the people who basically were undeserving, who basically did not have the blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon them to be able to maintain him وسلم, and instead went to a people who were more deserving of his company والسلام, and a Prophet, Nabiyun, Yara Mala Yara Nasu Hawlahu, a Prophet where people would see things from him that no one else would see sallallahu alayhi wa sallam وَيَتْلُوا كِتَابَ اللَّهِ فِي كُلِّ مَشْهَدِي And he would recite the book of Allah in every single instance sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Now what ends up happening subhanAllah and this is, this is really incredible So as we said Banu Khuza'a, this tribe would be an allied tribe to the Prophet And so later on the Treaty of Hudaybiyah will be broken because this tribe will be attacked now as for Umm Ma'bad radiallahu ta'ala anha and Abu Ma'bad, what ends up happening to them? So Umm Ma'bad's brother, uh, who is, whose name is Hubaysh, Hubaysh ibn Khalid, becomes Muslim as well. And he's actually one of the few people who were shuhada of Fatih Mecca. You don't hear about martyrs of Fatih Mecca because Fatih Mecca was a complete opening of Mecca with absolutely no bloodshed, right? But Hubaysh was on the way in Fatih Mecca and he lost his way and he was ambushed and killed 
by the other side before the Prophet arrived to Mecca. So he's one of the few people that you'll ever hear about being Shuhada al-Fatih. And this is the brother of Umm Ma'bad. And Abu Ma'bad and Umm Ma'bad would live long after the Prophet as well. And subhanAllah, there is, there is one narration that uh, Ibn Hajar mentions in his Isaba, uh, which, is, which is incredible. What happened to the sheep? I mean, the Prophet blessed its udders. Right? So what happened to that sheep? I mean, did it, did it just stop once the Prophet left? And instead he writes that that particular sheep continued to bear milk all the way until Amr Ramadah, 18 years after Hijrah, the year of the famine. And it was still bearing milk from that dua of the Prophet from that one moment in the Hijrah with him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And so this is Atika. Bint Khalid, Ummi Ma'bad, radiallahu ta'ala anha, who passed away of a natural death and who gives us that beautiful description of the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This podcast was brought to you by Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research, dismantling doubts and nurturing conviction, one truth at a time. Tune in every week for the next episode and don't forget to subscribe to this channel and share with friends. Until next time, this has been The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam.